If you would, this morning, turn to the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 8. So again, you'll notice that we are in the Gospel of Matthew. We've been in the Gospel of Matthew for two or three weeks, and if not more. And, uh, and we're going to look at another miracle. And yet, this miracle has a, kind of an odd response to it. Uh, quite frankly, there's some things in here that are a little, little weird to the modern mind. But wouldn't have been so odd to uh, to a first century Jew. So look at look at chapter eight of the Gospel of Matthew. I just want to read um, verses twenty eight to the end, which is thirty four. Hear these words of Scripture. And when he came to the other side, talking about Jesus, to the country of the Gadarenes, two demon possessed men met him, coming out of the tombs, so fierce that no one could pass that way. And behold, they cried out, What have you to do with us, O Son of God? Have you come here to torment us before the time? Now a herd of many pigs was feeding at some distance from them, and the demons begged him, saying, If you cast us out, send us away into the herd of pigs. And he said to them, Go. So they came out and went into the pigs, and behold, the whole herd rushed down the steep bank into the sea and drowned in the waters. The herdsmen fled, and going into the city, they told everything, especially what had happened to the demon-possessed men. And behold, all the city came out to meet Jesus. And when they saw Him, they begged Him to leave their region. Let us pray. Jesus, thank You for Your holy Word. And Holy Spirit, we pray now that You would quicken Your Word to our hearts in this very moment and help us to have a right response to You, O Lord, we pray in Your most holy name and for Your name's sake. Amen. Now, in Matthew 4 and 24, we've already had uh, a statement that those who were oppressed by demons uh, were coming to Jesus to be healed. And so, along with everybody else, with, with all kinds of illnesses and disease and so on and so forth. And it's always shocking, isn't it? When you're reading the Gospels and it's supposed to be good news and you meet demons. It's shocking when we as moderns who don't see the demonic, who maybe snicker a little bit at what is unseen, get introduced to demons. It almost sounds ancient, far away, maybe mythic. And yet... Here it is in God's Word. Here it is in the life of Jesus. I mean, you know, if it was just in the Old Testament, it might be, it might be one thing. But no, this is New Testament. This is New Testament. This is Jesus. And so we have here again being really, really a, a, almost a harsh introduction to, to reality. To the demonic next door. And here, Matthew gives this story, but so does Mark 
so does Luke. So actually you have three different, uh, three different uh, books in the Gospels, three of the Gospels that actually mention this one story, which is the demon-possessed guy. And actually here Matthew has two demon-possessed guys coming out, and they're coming out of the tombs. Uh, now this is the first account, full account, I should say, of a, an exorcism in Matthew. So, so far he's not mentioned any kind of exorcism or anything of this nature, but now he's going to go full-blown into an exorcism, which again, it sounds movie-esque. You know, I mean, it sounds like something you'd watch on TV, but you wouldn't really ever encounter here in Madison. I mean, you wouldn't really encounter it here in the public school place. I mean, you know, you go mention demons at work, and eh, they're probably going to get corrected. Probably going to get a memo. You know, hey, don't, don't be, don't, you know, you okay? Is everything all right? You need an evaluation? I mean, you know, you go around mentioning demons and the unseen world, and it's probably not going to be a good thing in our modern context. And so it's shocking, isn't it? It's shocking to meet this, to see this. Uh, now, what's really shocking to me about this story is that this is the second time that Jesus has been called the Son of God. However, He hasn't been called the Son of God by humans yet. The first is by Satan in the temptation. And the second is here by these demons. Now again, <laughs> you know, if you're trying to write up a story to convince people that uh, Jesus is the Messiah, you probably don't want as your primary witness the demonic, <laughs> Satan. And yet, Jesus has been called many things. He's been called so far Jesus the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham, King of the Jews, a Nazarene, and now also Son of Man. And now He is called the Son of God for the second time which is a very clear messianic divine title. And it's coming right out of the mouth of a demon-possessed man. Kind of shocking again. But here, the demons know who He is, and the disciples still don't. The townspeople still don't. And so as we zero in on this text... Matthew, again, is trying to establish the authority of Jesus. He does this in several ways. One, one of the ways is because he has authority, we've already been told in the previous chapters, to call disciples. In other words, he has authority to call you to leave your job. To call you, you remember the guy who says, oh, I need to go bury my, my father and you know, stay with him until he dies, and then after that, I, he says, no, no, you're not worthy to follow me then. Wow. I mean, Jesus is either the most egocentric person to ever live, or He's God. I mean, who else tells you that you should love them more than your wife? Them more than your mother and your father? Who has that kind of claim on your life but God? So He's either... I mean, He can't be a good teacher. I mean, that's, that's blown out of the water. People say He's a good teacher. Religions of the world say He's a good teacher. But a good teacher doesn't go around talking about himself like that. That's not humble, unless he's God. And then he has a right. Then he has the authority. So he already has the authority to call people to do certain things. And he also has authority over natural disaster. 
Notice the story before is that of the calming of the storm. Remember, Jesus taking a nap, which gives legitimacy to taking naps, if you like to take naps. And He is awoken because they are perishing, they say. And so, He gets up and He says, Peace be still. And the storm actually listens to Him. And the disciples are like, I'm sorry, who is this guy again? Who are we in the boat with? And it's fascinating again. They call on Him to help, and then when He helps, they're shocked. Sound familiar? And He also here has authority over the demonic. Then, in chapter 9, authority over disease. So disciples, disaster, uh, disease, and here in our story, the demonic. Now what's fascinating is, is that this story actually is sandwiched between two boat stories. So again, if you like fishing, so did Jesus. Apparently, He called some fishermen. He was on the boat quite a bit in certain stories. He gets off the boat from this terrible storm that He calms down, and then right in chapter 9, and getting into a boat. So you have this little story, almost like, I call it the land between. The land between the storm, the land between one shore and another shore is this demonic, crazy story that I often used to freak me out, quite frankly. I mean, who doesn't get freaked out if they saw a bunch of pigs that had demons in them running off the cliff into the ocean? I mean, that's just it's an odd story when you hear it as a 10-year-old. It's a fascinating one. And there's all kind of questions. You see, this land between is a reality for us. We, as humans, live in the land between the material and the spiritual. Because we are both. That's what makes us unique. That's that's why the Bible says we are created in God's image. That's why the psalmist will say, you know, we're almost, he gives the picture in in chapter, uh, Psalm 8, of us hanging between heaven and earth. Yes, we're very animal. We have to do a lot of things that the animal, we have to do everything that animals do. And yet we do a lot of things that the animals don't do. Things trouble us that don't seem to really trouble the animals. I mean, here we are, we, you know, most of us have gone to school, and you know, the squirrels aren't out there going to school today. They're not out convening saying, you know, what is the purpose of life? I don't know. You know, the lion, when he tears the wildebeest apart, doesn't say, you know what, that guy had family. I really feel bad about this. Don't send a check. No, but we worry about stuff like that, don't we? So yes, we're very material, very animal, and yet there's this spiritual component to us. We're hanging between heaven and earth. We are made of both heaven and earth. As one author put it, we are made of dust and divinity. And so it shouldn't be too shocking when we meet demons in the Bible. After all, there is a power that is at work against us. And yet the Bible is very clear not to set up a dualism in our world. 
Now, I don't mean to be technical, but that's the only way I know to say it and then to explain it as the yin and yang. You, you've seen this, the yin-yang symbol, the black and the white, and the white has a little dot of black, and the black has a little dot of white. Which is saying in Eastern religion that there is an equal amount of good in the world and an equal amount of bad in the world. And this is wrong. There is only light, and in Him is no darkness at all. And yet there is darkness because we have turned our face away from the light. We have hidden ourselves and covered ourselves in darkness. So although darkness and evil are very real components, they are not equal to God. Light will expel the darkness every single time it hits it. You cannot bring me darkness. You can only cover up the light. You cannot measure cold. You can only measure heat. These are things in our world that, again, are signs that point us to God. The only way to have spoiled milk is to have good milk. As C.S. Lewis so finely put it. And so there is no equality of this battle of good and evil. No, God is above this battle. Actually, God is outside of this battle and chooses to enter into it. He's not struggling with Satan. You know, we, we, we did this skit back in the day at, at FIMC, you know, and I was, I was uh, Satan and another guy was Jesus. And we had this struggle and it was a, it was a, it just shows you how it'll date, it'll date me is, is Carmen. It was a Carmen song, you know, and so we had this big battle, you know, Satan and Jesus, you know, we were all into Carmen back then, you know, some of you like, I don't even know who Carmen is and it's probably a good thing. Um, but... But there was this struggle. And you know what? There's no struggle. There's no struggle. Not with God. Not with God. There's no struggle. Now, with us, that's where the battle's raging. This is where the battle's raging. In our hearts, this is where the struggle comes. And the cartoons are very accurate with this little demon popping up here and a little angel popping up here. I mean, if, if you don't know that reality, then you haven't lived very long. But God is not touched by that. And yet He chooses to enter into that. And so here He is, getting off a boat, and demon-possessed guys are coming out to Him. Out from the graves. Now again, let's think real quick, first century Judaism. And think that graves is not really the best place to live. You say, well, you didn't have to think first century to think that, buddy. You know, uh, if you notice that even today... Uh, most new churches do not have graveyards anymore because nobody really wants to live by a graveyard. Um, that doesn't make your property value go up. Uh, this is not somewhere where you want to live. We don't associate people living in a graveyard as living people. There are many people living there, but they're not living. And so these guys lived in caves with dead people. That made them unclean. It didn't just make them weird. It made them unclean. They were not allowed in the temple. If you touched them, if they got near you, you too would be unclean. And it even says here a little note about the author, Matthew. He says, look, they were so violent that no one would even pass through there. Everybody was scared of them. And wouldn't you be? To know a demon, two demon-possessed guys just roaming through graves? Through tombs? 
And then on the other side of this thing, you get pigs in this story. Which again, unclean. Remember the Antichrist sacrifices a pig in the temple, which is an abomination of abominations. Even though I ate bacon this morning. Praise be to God for His new revelation in the New Testament. I'm sure they have bacon now in heaven. So I'm sure that Abraham and these guys, they're, they're good now. Moses is good. But, but no, the reality is even the pigs are unclean. And so the demons ask to go into something unclean. And then what does the demons cause the pigs to do? Cause them to die. A very swift death. Now what should that tell us about the demonic? That the demonic is unclean. It is dedicated to the profane things in life. And it wants total destruction. Sound familiar? To kill, steal, and destroy your life. This is what the demonic world wants. This, is, this story really is, is about profanity meeting holiness. What is profane? I looked up the term profane just because I like words. Call me a nerd if you want. You gotta look up the word nerd though. Um, but profane actually has this idea behind it, and that is outside of the temple. It's Latin for outside of the temple. Or what is secular? So let me ask you something. You remember when Paul in Ephesians says that we don't struggle against flesh and blood, in other words, other humans, but against principalities, against powers in the heavenly places? What is he talking about? Is that just some lofty way of saying something that we can't know? No. It means that within our politics. It means that within culture. It means within media. It means within your workplace policies. It means in the highest echelons of our world that demons are at work. There are powers that are trying to move certain things. And you can stay ignorant like most of the people did in the Shire in Middle Earth of Lord of the Rings and try to close your ears up and just pay attention to your lawn. But there are powers at work in our world that will trickle down to even the Shire, even the South, even the Bible Belt, even Madison, even your house, even your children. So you ought to pay attention. You ought to open your eyes and not close them. There is the profane that is all around us. There is evil about our door. And yet, here's Jesus. These guys come out, and, and it's, it's interesting that Jesus, in this whole, in, the, in all these verses here, he says one thing. That's it. One word. Go. They do all the other talking. It's like, you ever seen somebody scared? Or you ever seen somebody nervous? They talk. You know, if, if like you're not very sure about what you're saying, you talk more. Uh, if you're scared, you talk. You're trying to talk, talk them out of whatever. I don't know. 
But here it's like the demons are scared. They're, 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 just, uh, they're just jabber boxes. And you're like, and he's like, go. One, go. Again, he's not in a fight. They're scared to death. You know, notice, notice they're, they're very respectful of him, even in this way. You know, they call him the Son of God. They ask him why he's here. They even say, are you going to torment us now? You're not even going to wait to the end? So they know a judgment's coming. How profane! They still struggle against God knowing there's a judgment. How profane! How insane! And yet, isn't sin always insane in our life? And we do it. Every time that we've ever sinned, you've ever held a grudge against someone, even though you know you're not going to be forgiven if you don't forgive. Every time that you have gone after the material, lusted for the material, or for more, or greed, or an attitude, every time that we've allowed these things in our life and followed them over God, that's insane! Sitting in our right mind here in church, we say to ourselves, that's dumb! Why would I ever do that? And then we notice we're talking to ourselves. Because there's a struggle. There's a struggle over our heart. Who we're going to serve. Who we're going to give ourselves to. And so, you really have here in this story two groups that meet Jesus. The first group is demons. And they're ready to get out of town. They don't want to be around Him any longer. They can't stand to be around Him. They're ready. They actually ask to go somewhere else. So, they come out to Him to meet Him, and then they want to flee. But did you notice the townspeople's response? They also come out to Jesus, don't they? Did you catch that? They go out to meet Him, and you're thinking, oh wow, you know, He just did this great miracle. I mean, two people that they couldn't even walk past those tombs, those people are good now. They're back in town. No, it's not good. They come out to meet Jesus. And they're not happy about it. They actually ask Him to flee. So the demons are wanting to flee from the presence of God, but now the townspeople want Jesus to flee. Now we could muse about why. But again, sin is insane, isn't it? Profane When holy light comes into the darkness, it always expels it. People don't want it. This is why people would not like heaven who don't know God. They don't want to be by God. They don't want to be with God. Hell is not some place where they're longing to be with God and yet they're in torture because they can't. No, they are locked into themselves. What they lived for in life was their self. And what they got in the end was their self, not God. And so the townspeople actually ask Jesus to leave their area, leave their re- They beg him, the scripture says, to leave. To, to me, that's shocking. I mean, here, this is God. 
and they're asking him to leave. I wonder in our own lives how many times we've asked Jesus to leave. It sounds crazy, doesn't it? I mean, you're saying to yourself, I have never asked God to leave my... You sure about that? Because when you sin, you say, I'm going to do a little time out here, God. I need a little time for myself. And you immediately turn. You turn away from the light. We feel like we deserve a little time for ourselves. I have a little space that I return to. It's my default position. We even call some of these things our demons. It's probably a true statement. But don't turn to them. That's not where comfort's found. Not in turning to what you're addicted to. Not in turning to what you've always done. Can I tell you something? If, if we want anything to happen at Harvest Point, it's not going to be through the power of my preaching. power of our singing. How well we can set up things to make it comfortable for you. Instead, it will be the power of God. The power from on high. Without that power operating in your life, you will inevitably fall to the other power. This is a battle. There is no middle ground. I mean, just think of the saints. They played last night. If on one play, one of the linemen says, you know what, look, there's plenty of other guys out here. I'm going to just kind of, I'm not going to help the other team. I'm just going to stand here. Okay, you just helped the other team. Way to go, buddy. Go sit on the bench. You don't want to play? Somebody else will. We think that we can just sit it out. We think we can just kind of relax. There's no middle ground. The land between is at war over your soul, over your children, over, over your spouse. And the only power in the world that can break the demonic is God's power. It's Jesus. <laughs> it's not even a fight for Him. He just shows up. If He shows up, they have to leave. This is why if we resist the devil, he will flee. Why? Because as soon as we turn to God, he can't follow us there. He's not going to. So let me ask you, have you ever met the demonic? I mean, I could tell you a couple of stories. I'd be, wow, you know, whatever. But those stories are a little overkill. The way the devil normally works, the way the demonic normally works, is like guerrilla warfare. He likes to blend in. He doesn't march a big army towards you. He doesn't try to get you to do the big bad wolf things. But instead, it's the little things. It's the little attitudes. It's the little thoughts that we let 
nurture in our mind about other people. It's the things we hold against each other. It's the things that we can't let go, that we feel like is just a part of who we are. I I think the townspeople here, you know, my two cents is this. They just didn't want anything to change. We just get comfortable where we are. And, And yeah, we know... That needs to change about our world, but we just, eh, it's, it's going to take too much effort. You ever, I mean, you ever, just take too much effort. It's just too much for them. And they say, you got to get out of town, man. We don't want you here. So what's your response to Jesus? Truly, you already have met the demonic. The demonic's already at work in your life against you. We're told this by Jesus Himself. And if you've never known that temptation, that evil struggle against you, then you may be too comfortable with the enemy. It doesn't mean that your life is going down in flames all the time. It doesn't mean that at all. We believe we can live a victorious life doesn't mean that you have to have bad things happen to you. It doesn't. God doesn't play games like we do. He's more than willing to bless you all the way through your life. And yet He's also more than willing to let us suffer with Him all through our life. So what has our response been to both the demonic and to Jesus? Here you have both represented here. The townspeople would have rather had the demonic among them than Jesus. I wonder how many, how many things that, I'll just speak for myself, I'm comfortable with in my own life that are great demonic distractions or powers at work in our world and we just live with them. They're just part of our, eh, you know, that's... Eh, the American way. Well, you're not just an American. You're a Christian. That goes beyond being a Saints fan or being an American or being a part of this organization or being a part of this work or job. It even goes beyond your marriage and your children. If you don't love Jesus more than them, you've already decided to worship the enemy's side. Amen. Idolatry. It is hard, it's a hard saying, and yet, here's the good news in it all, is that Jesus can break it just by simply showing up. He says one word, go. Go. You know, one thing that I've been praying for our church and praying for my own life and over, and over my children as well is this. The power of God. We need the power of God. Now, what that's going to do is that means that there might be some things that happen in our church that are, whoa, wow. Don't have this response. I don't need to, you know, we don't need to do this. We don't need to go down this route. When the Spirit moves, you better be responding in the positive. It's very dangerous not to. Are you open to God's Spirit? Or are there other spirits that control you more so? 
Is there victory during your week? Can you really love people? Do you really love your... You know, I'll, I'll, I'll end with this. And it's, it's really a powerful thing whether you like George Bush or not. But Jessica was saying <clears throat> that in an interview recently, uh, he was asked, you know, what kind of legacy would you want to leave? You know, what kind of, what kind of thing would you want to leave? And he said, you know, here's, here's, here's what I would want to leave is that my wife would be able to say he was the most godly man I knew. Wife and children. Now, why wife? Because that's the person who sees you in your good and your bad. It's easy to be godly around me, to be godly at work, to be godly at school. It is a very difficult thing to be godly 24-7. If you're not godly in your family, then you're not godly. It's a show. Like the Pharisees, you're living in a tomb. Come out. Come out of the tomb. Be honest with yourself and come out like these demon-possessed people did. Meet Jesus. Don't ask Him to leave. I mean, if he, if, seriously, if He's knocking at your door today, don't ask Him to leave again. You've done it before. Don't. Don't. We need, I need, I need the power of God at work in my heart. In my heart. The heart is deceitful above all things. Who can know it? Jeremiah says. God can. And He can take that heart of stone and make it a heart of flesh. Make it a soft heart so that He can then be Lord with all the authority that we've talked about. He has authority over the demonic. We don't have to sit here and be defeated. He has the victory for us. He's already won the victory. Do you know that victory? Because you can today, right now, this hour. When God does something to somebody's heart, I'm telling you, it's no one can manufacture it. Amen. It's the most real thing you've ever seen or experienced. Some of you have never experienced God's life transforming grace. You know all about God and that's not enough. You've been to church all your life and that's not enough. You pray and that's not enough. You read the Bible and that's not enough. I know that because I've been there before and I was dead inside just like the Pharisees who wore Scripture could quote the entire Old Testament. Way to go. Wow. Pat you on the back. But inside, dead man's bones, they were a grave. The enemy works in the most subtle ways. And he may be already in your life and you don't even know it. And so if you now know it today, you better not let him stay. You better not ask him to leave. Because when he comes in, they will go automatically. It's not even a contest. Look to the light. 
believe in Jesus Christ, repent of your sins, repent of your attitudes, and allow Him to transform you with His power. It's what He wants to do in our church, and I'm sure of it. I'm more sure of it than many things that I'm sure of in my life. Will you let Him do that today? He can, and He will, if you'll say yes. Amen.